Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. What, what is the greatest sexual organ in the human body? What is the greatest sexual organ in the human body? The room was silent. Anne and I were in our mid-twenties. We decided to enroll in this marriage conference. The counsellor was there with a group of people sitting around in a circle. And that was the question he asked. What is the greatest sexual organ in the human body? And because everyone was silent, he turned to me and said, Don't be shy. What's your answer? And I quietly said to him, Ask someone else. No, no, no. Don't be shy. He said, I said, I know the answer. Oh, then give us the answer. And I said, the mind. And he looked around, I think it's like, how do you know? Now, bubble burst. He said, oh, yes, correct, that's correct, that's the mind. The body and the mind are intricately joined together. Because we are made holistically. So we cannot just talk about the body without talking about the mind. We cannot talk about the mind without talking about the heart the seat of emotion. We cannot talk about the thinking and the feeling without understanding the soul, the inner life. It's all intricate. It's all connected together. The topic given to me today is our body in God's hands. I'm going to focus on the body. But as I do, please understand that this whole exercise is not just an academic exercise to help us understand either human anatomy or to understand uh, our spiritual pilgrimage. Rather, it is to help us to understand the heart of God and His design for humanity. You see, the human body is one of the most complicated and intricate living life form on this planet. And the older I get, the more I am not just intrigued, but the more I learn to appreciate the whole understanding of not just the physical, biological, human anatomy, but to understand the existential importance of the body in relation to spirituality and in taking care of the body in relation to stewardship. It is important for us to grasp the design of God, the mind of God, the heart of God, because our body and our pilgrimage is tied together in a holy fabric of life, destiny, meaning, and purpose. And the text I want to bring before you is a familiar one. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I know our friend Suin has dealt with that when he expounded on the mind. Because Paul speaks about the mind, renewing your mind. But the same passage, Paul also says, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. 
I had a wake-up call in regards to the physical body and the care of the body. A few years ago, I went for my MRI. I had two MRIs, but that was a few years ago because I had this dizzy spell. And then the doctor came to me in the morning and he said, Mr. Chan, I heard you told my nurse you are pre-diabetic. I said, yes, sir. I'm pre-diabetic. He says, I got bad news for you. You have to cancel the word pre. You can cancel the word from pre-diabetic. Cancel pre means diabetic. Lah. So I had a choice to make. This is what I told myself. Either I get ready for insulin injection or I have an entire lifestyle change. Now let me explain what this lifestyle change means. In the beginning, when I think pre-diabetic means don't eat too much ice cream. Lah. Instead of taking two scoops, eat one scoop. When I think of a lifestyle change, I thought about a total turning around. In other words, I cut down all visible carbo because uh, food that, that uh, in that sense don't have visible carbo like rice or bread had carbohydrates in itself. And cut down all visible sugar because some things are already inherently sweet. And then what did I eat? I eat grass, uh, salad. <laughs> I grew up not liking salad. But there was a change, a cultivated taste. After a while, I realized, whoa, lettuce is sweet. Vegetables are wonderful. Lifestyle change. It was a radical turnaround. And in that lifestyle change, I realized something about the human body. It is adaptable. It, it can detoxify itself with the right, with the right rest, exercise, diet, and so on. So I lost weight, I took charge as it were of my body, and, and I learned how to take care of it because it is important. You see, the body is a stewardship. That's why when he says present your body as a living sacrifice, it is talking about something important. It is a stewardship and it's an exclusive stewardship. Let me explain what I mean by stewardship and exclusive stewardship. All of us are given a body. <laughs> There's no one here who is bodiless. All of us have a body. We come in different shapes and sizes and different conditions in the body. But we all have one and we have to steward it. But it's an exclusive stewardship in this sense. We have only one body and we cannot get another. In other words, whether you are rich or poor, you have only one body. Whether you are young or old, you are given only one body. Whether you are highly educated or illiterate, we have only one body. Whether male or female, we have only one body. And we are to steward it because it is the only functional form of existence we have. So here's the question. How do we steward it? The answer, place it in the hand of God. Our bodies in God's hand to dedicate ourselves, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So this is what the Apostle Paul says in his counsel in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's something intriguing, something profound and powerful about this holy, sacred pilgrimage where we understand what it means to present our bodies a living sacrifice, our bodies in the hands of God. Would you bow with me in prayer as we ask the Lord to bless this time together? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, help us to understand our spiritual pilgrimage, to wrap our minds around how important it is to grasp the, not just the function of the anatomy of the body, but to grasp that spiritual pilgrimage of how important and relevant and pertinent the body is to our walk with you, our bodies in your hands, and what it really means to dedicate our bodies to you. Please tutor us in this exclusive stewardship and help us walk in wisdom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three important principles we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 with regards to consecrating and dedicating our bodies to God in the hands of God. First, dedicating our bodies to God is about the choices we make. Second, it's about the compass we adopt. And third, it's about the consecration we celebrate. The choices we make, the compass we adopt, and the consecration we celebrate. Now, let's look at this one thing at a time, one principle at a time. First, dedicating our body is about the choices we make. The Apostle Paul says we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Here's the question. Why present our bodies a living sacrifice? Now, if you don't mind, indulge me in this. Please turn to one sitting next to you and say, put on your thinking cap. Can you say that? Put on your thinking cap because this day we're going to think together something fundamental and important. It seems an easy question to answer, especially for Christians. Why dedicate your bodies to God? Because God is holy, God is almighty. I'm a Christian, I dedicate to God, I consecrate. That's true, but inadequate. Why? Because there are biblical foundations, theological considerations, and there is a spiritual pilgrimage we must grasp and understand before we can see the import and the significance of those words, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We've got to understand the biblical context, the theological consideration, and the spiritual pilgrimage so that it impacts the choices we make in consecrating or dedicating our body to God. So let's take it one at a time. First, the biblical context. The biblical context actually has two parts, the immediate context and the larger context, the larger canvas on which Paul writes these powerful and important words, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So look at the immediate context first. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, what does he call them to do? I beseech you. The Greek word is parakaleo. Uh, it's often translated as encourage. But in this case, we must not miss the emotional tone. The King James Version says, I beseech you. I beg you. Uh, the ESV says, I appeal to you. 
The idea is I passionately and strongly appeal to you. In other words, this is very important, guys. That's what Paul is saying. I appeal to you. I paracollect all you. And what does he appeal to them towards? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, we've got to understand this context. What did he mean by the term, by the mercies of God? Why doesn't he say, I appeal to you passionately by the love of God, or by the grace of God, or by the power of God, or by the truth of God, or by the faithfulness of God? Why did Paul choose the word mercies of God and is in the plural, the manifold mercies of God by which I beseech you? Why mercies? Uh, for that, we got to see the larger canvas. We got to see the broader context. So, allow me to just paint to you, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let me paint to you the big picture of chapter 1 to chapter 11. In broad strokes, my purpose is this. My purpose is so that you don't have individual pearls. One pearl here, one pearl here, and they are not connected. What I want to do is to give you the string so that the pearls come together like a necklace so you can see the beauty of the whole. In other words, I want to help you connect the dots and see the larger picture in how Paul now comes to Romans chapter 12 with the context of the entire first 11 chapters that he spoke about. Chapter 1 to 3, he brought before them a very significant crisis in humanity. It culminated in chapter 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He basically said, look, the moralists have sinned, the pragmatists have sinned, the Jews have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. One by one, he demolished their moral arguments and said, you think you stand righteous before the holy God, but you fail to understand who he is and what he requires. So he began with the bad news, chapter 1, 2, 3. When we come to chapter 4, he tells them what God requires. Chapter 4 is about justification by faith. When he comes to chapter 5, he tells them the benefits of justification. In this particular context, the benefits of justification by faith. So he started with the bad news, then he gave the good news. It is in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And then he tells them the joy, the wonder, the freedom that they have in Christ Jesus, in the life Jesus has given them, the meaning and the purpose and the joy that is in Christ Jesus. Then when we come to chapter 6, 7 and 8, he dealt with the human predicament. If this is the mess we are in and the sin we are in, chapter 1 to 3, so that no moralist or pragmatist or philosopher or Jew can stand in his religion or morality. The only way is justification by faith in Christ, chapter 4. And here are the benefits of justification. When he comes to chapter 6, 7 and 8, he comes to the question of, then why is life so hard? 
Why is it so difficult? The things I want to do, I do not. And the things I don't want to do, that which I do. Oh, wretched man am I, who can deliver me from this body of death? In other words, even when I become a Christian, I've been struggling. Then I found Christ and I rejoice. But even so, I'm struggling. I struggled before I became a Christian and then I became a Christian. The struggle doesn't stop. That's the human predicament. Chapter 6, chapter 7 and chapter 8. Then he moved on to chapter 9 and 11. But before he moved to chapter 9 and 11, he comes now to chapter 8 with the grand finale. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ because Christ paid it all. And then when he came to chapter 8, the grand crescendo, he spoke about the love of God that we cannot phantom, the height, the breadth, the depth, the glory of the love of God. Now when he comes to chapter 8 like that, it's a crescendo. When he spoke about the human predicament and the power and glory of the love of God, he could have stopped there. Don't worry about chapter 9, 10, 11 jump to chapter 12 and says, I beseech you now, by the love of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, it will be perfect. You try this for yourself. You, you read chapter 1 to chapter 8. When you come to chapter 8, you skip and jump to chapter 12. The link is directly there. So here's the question. Then what is chapter 9, 10, 11 about? Why include it? It is like a, what's that called? An appendix, an excursion. Well, he was talking about the human predicament in chapter 6, 7, 8. Now he specifically looked at the Jewish predicament. And he talked about three things. Chapter 9, the sovereignty of God. That the plans of God cannot be thwarted. Even his plans for the Jews and for Israel, his chosen people. Chapter 9. Chapter 10, the human responsibility. And so now there is a conundrum between sovereign will of God and human responsibility. How, how do we balance this? It's meaning, is free will really free, etc., etc.? His answer, chapter 11. Behold the wisdom of God. What kind of wisdom it is? It is a wisdom created by His mercies. Out of His mercies, He does not judge and just wipe out fallen humanity. Out of His mercies, He redeemed even the Jews, His chosen people, as is His redemptive purpose to redeem all the nations. You see, this is not just in Romans. This goes all the way back in the Old Testament to Genesis. God has a heart for the nations. And he raised up the Jews as a chosen people only to be a witness unto him for all the nations that in Abraham, all the nations might be blessed. Because out of Abraham came David. Out of the line of David came Jesus. All the nations. So the Jewish predicament comes culminating in both the wisdom and the mercies of God for his people though they are fallen or faithless. Now Paul comes in chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, I earnestly appeal to you by the mercies of God that you see, both in the Jewish predicament and in the human predicament. 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice because He loved you so much. He died for you in Christ Jesus on the cross and His mercies are new every morning towards us in spite of us. Therefore, Paul says, I appeal to you, I challenge you, I beg you, see what kind of God we worship. He's a God who is compassionate and merciful and wise in spite of our full of nonsenseness. The mercies of God overflows. And then he says, now, the logical thing to do, the right thing to do, the wise thing to do, Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Oh, my friends, it's about the choices we make when we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Presenting your bodies is not about a monastic life. It's about the choice you make in living life with freedom, joy, wisdom, truth as you present your bodies before God. That, that's the whole biblical context. The second is the theological. Here's the theological consideration. Why present your bodies? It's because in creation, God created us both body and soul, intertwined together, symbiotically functioning together. It's like your handphone, your mobile phone. Your mobile phone must be connected to a cellular network. Without that network, your phone is not a phone. Without the network, it cannot function. And if it cannot function, it's not a phone. The reverse is true. If you have the network working, the cellular network, but you don't have a phone, then you cannot tap into its power. Then telecommunications is not possible. You need the phone, as it were in the metaphor representing the body, you need the cellular network representing the network of the mind. Not just the neurochemicals in the mind, but the thinking, the truth, the philosophy, the theology, the understanding, the wisdom. The two must come together. Listen carefully now. Therefore, our body must be connected to the wisdom of the mind, to thinking, enlightenment, discernment. That's why in the same verse as of last week, your mind in God's hand and this week, your body in God's hand is connected together in this verse. I want you to renew your mind, Paul says, as you present your bodies a living sacrifice to Him. So here's the theological consideration. It is the ontological relevance of the body. In other words, our mind and our feelings, which is our thoughts and emotions, they are all linked together to impact behaviour in one way or another. So, all our thinking and feeling impact our doing and our being, our belief and our behaviour. How then is this belief, which is the mind and the heart, and the behaviour is being carried out, which is the body? If you have the belief, without the body, you cannot carry out. The body is significant because it carries out the thoughts, intentions and desires of the mind and the heart. The body and the soul are intricately connected together. 
You want to truly see the health of the body in action, consecrated unto God? It begins with the mind and the spirit. That's the theological connection. It is therefore to be a living sacrifice, not a dead thing. Alive. And when we come alive in God, then we realize He is at work powerfully. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Question how? Chrysostom has this to say. He says, how is the body to become a sacrifice? This is his counsel in the early church, as an early church father. Let thy eye look upon no evil thing, and he has become a sacrifice. Let thy tongue speak nothing filthy, and he has become an offering. Let thy hand do no lawless deeds, and it has become a whole burnt offering. In other words, it's about the choices we make, because the choices we make impact our spiritual pilgrimage. So why does Paul say, present your bodies a living sacrifice? Because he knows that there's something about our bodies, our appetite, that will keep us from worshipping God in spirit and in truth. That is why this consecration of the body is important. This choice we make to surrender ourselves, our doing, our behavior, what we do, where we walk, what we see, what we hear, what we say, all part and parcel of being dedicated to God. It is about the choices we make. The second principle is about the compass we adopt. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Holy means it's set apart, it's consecrated. Acceptable means this sacrifice is pleasing to God and a proof of God. Now, how can our sacrifice in practical terms, as we dedicate ourselves to God, how can it be holy and acceptable? Theologians call it justification and sanctification. Let me reduce it to its irreducible minimum. Let me try and put it simply for us in its foundational fundamentals. In order for us to consecrate our bodies to God as a decisive choice, walking in truth and wisdom and understanding and discernment, in order to do that, there is a quality needed of that sacrifice, that living sacrifice. It has to be holy and acceptable. But we can't. That's the human predicament. So, we have to understand justification. It goes back to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5. Justification means that God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Put it in simple terms, it means that on the cross, all our sins were nailed to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So that now we stand before God, believing in the Lord Jesus, we will stand before God forgiven because His Son has paid the penalty for sin in full on the cross. We are forgiven. We are righteous. The sacrifice now is holy and acceptable unto God because it is in Christ. That's 
justification. We are justified by faith. That's what Paul says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, justified, holy and acceptable. But there's a second part. The second part is sanctification. So when we stand before the courts of God, justified and saved, forgiven, our day-to-day living, our consecrating of our bodies in the decisions we make, the choices we make, the compass we adopt is important. Because this sanctification means we walk carefully and wisely. In practical terms, beware of addictions. John Piper says this about addiction. He says the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but the apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibblings at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated DVD, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For when these replace our appetite for God Himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. In other words, J.I. Packer is saying two things. One, beware of addictions. And two, some addictions are more socially acceptable than others, but equally detrimental in derailing our hunger for God. Be careful of addiction. It comes in many forms. In the book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, Steve Carter told the story of Jared, a friend who came to him with commitment issues. He tries to help his friend with this relational issue, trying to find what was at the root. Was it insecurity or or fears or whatever? Commitment issues. Then as they talk, Steve Carter realised something. There was an episode in Jared's life when he was very young, as a boy. He fell down, hurt himself, ran to the mother, looking for the mother to hug him and soothe his pain. But the mother just turned him away and said, "Ah, small thing, and gave him a cookie, an Oreo biscuit. When this little boy took the Oreo biscuit, crying in pain, missing the mother's hug and biting into the biscuit, what he didn't realise was this little boy began to see food as the solution to the pains of his soul. It was a physical pain. But after a while, it became an emotional pain, a wound within the soul. And so he got himself into a food addiction. The point is, addiction is very insidious. It it doesn't harm the body just in terms of uh, harming it or causing it to have a shorter lifespan. Some addictions are not like that, but it harms the body in terms of the freedom it has and the hunger for God. It comes out in other issues. Beware of addictions and renounce them. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Addiction. So three principles. Number one, dedicating our body to God is about the choices we make, 
the compass we adopt, holy and acceptable unto God in justification, in sanctification in this life. Beware of addiction and walk in the power of God's freedom. The last principle is the consecration we celebrate. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation, the King James Version, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is a bit difficult to understand and interpret. Let me try and simplify for us. Reasonable service and spiritual worship, how come it's interpreted so differently? Reasonable service and then spiritual worship seems like two different things. First of all, the word service here is a technical word used in reference to the context of priestly service and therefore worship. Then what about this reasonable or spiritual? How do we understand the Greek word? The Greek word is logikos. And it comes from the root logos, translated commonly as word, but it's also understood as principle, reason, truth, genuineness. And the idea therefore behind it is a worship, a service unto God that is true and pure and authentic. Let me give you my expanded paraphrase of what it means reasonable service or spiritual worship. I look at it as the logical outcome of your faith and spiritual pilgrimage resulting in genuine worship. It has the idea of a logical outcome of faith and your walk that results in genuine worship. In other words, it is a radically lived out devotion fully consecrated unto Christ. And Paul gives the key to that in verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How do we understand? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I give you a simple thing covenantals will understand. It's called a certain kind. That's what it is. A-C-K, a certain kind. If you go to the church office, you see A-C-K center. What it means is a certain kind. It's a radical discipleship unto Jesus. It's a life of radical commitment unto Him. It is a way of rising above the culture, be not conformed to this world. You see, culture has a way of affecting how we see things. In God in the Wasteland, David Wells, the author, made an insightful point. He said, God is our vision and culture is our context. The danger today is we have reversed it. We have made culture our vision and God our context. In other words, we make culture our defining center of reality and then God is merely a polite social space, a context by which we converse in polite church talk. So we attend church on Sunday, we engage in polite church talk and then Monday to Friday, culture and our appetites and our desires become the dominant, defining reality out there in the marketplace and inside in our inner world. And God is etched out. Oh, it's a danger zone. When God is etched out, when culture and our appetites become the center of gravity. God is the defining center of gravity. 
Otherwise, in the subtle shift we move, we can become culture-centered rather than Christ-centered. Now, let me pause to say we must be culture-sensitive. We are in the world, but not of the world. We have to be culture-sensitive. But culture-sensitive is different from being culture-centered. Don't be culture-centered. Be Christ-centered. Otherwise, in our pursuit to be relevant and timely in our culture, we have lost sight of the timeless and the meaningful. We need a spiritual discernment now to be dedicated to God in the choices we make, in the compass we adopt, and in the consecration we celebrate because God is worth it all. And in that radical, total consecration, we understand we are like clay in the potter's hand to fulfill His purposes for His glory. Let me close with this poem, The Potter's House. I don't know who the poet is. It's anonymous. But let me read it to you. It has moved me and ministered to me. To the potter's house, I went down one day and watched him while molding vessels of clay. And many a wonderful lesson I drew as I noted the process the clay went through. Trampled and broken, downtrodden and rolled to render more plastic and fit for the mold. How like the clay that is human I taught when in heavenly hands to perfection brought. For self must be cast as the dust at his feet before it is ready for service made meet. And pride must be broken and self-will lost, all laid on the altar, whatever the cost. But lo, by and by a delicate vase of wonderful beauty and exquisite grace. Was it once the vile clay? Ah, yes, yet how strange the potter has wrought so marvellous a change. Not a trace of the earth, the mark of the clay, the fires of the furnace have burned them away. Wondrous skill of the potter, his praise is his due, in whose hand to perfection and beauty it grew. Thus with souls lying still, contend in God's hand, that do not His power of working withstand. They are moulded and fitted, a treasure to hold. Vow clay now transformed, into purest of gold. Precious, treasured. When we delegate and present our bodies, a living sacrifice unto God in the choices we make, the compass we adopt, the consecration we celebrate. So that in the simplification of our lives, the detoxification of our soul, the consecration of our body, the offering of our worship, it all brings us to the pilgrimage of a certain kind. Would you bow with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we pray you help us to anchor in Christ Jesus and in Him to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto you. So that it's not just the physical anatomy or the sexuality, but the spirituality and the understanding of the timeless and the eternal by which we consecrate our souls and our body unto God. 
Help us, Lord, in this holy pilgrimage by the choices we make, the compass we adopt, the consecration we celebrate. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to respond to the word that was proclaimed just now, I'm going to give us some time just between you and God as you ask the Lord right now to search you, to search you with regards to areas in your life that He is revealing. So I'm going to give us a few moments before we respond uh, with a song right now to ask the Lord, would you search me right now, Lord? Are there areas, are there addictions, subtle ones in my life that they have been gone unnoticed? Or for some, it could be an ongoing addiction. This morning, we are called to renew our minds. So I'm going to give us some time to do that and then we'll respond. Right now as we come before the Lord as we ask the Lord to search us as the worship team leads us in this response song if you feel and you, you say Lord yes would you help me empower me to be a living sacrifice for you renew me this day this morning if that is you this morning as the worship team leads us in this song I want you to simply stand and put your hands on the heart as the Lord leads you and as the worship team sings this song. It's a simple response to God saying, Yes, Lord, make me a living sacrifice. Draw 
people of God this morning as we respond to God, as we say we want to be living sacrifice for Him this morning. It is really by the mercies of God that we can stand right now, today, before the Almighty God, a holy God. And for God this morning, we are eternally grateful as your people this morning. Across the generations, we are grateful for the wonder-working work of the cross. It is only by the grace of God that we can stand here before a holy God, justified by faith, sanctified daily. So God, help us this morning that as we leave this place, the work continues, the sanctification continues, the molding continues. So God, help us. The call that the Apostle Paul gave us this morning through your servant, Reverend Edmund Chan, the call to not be conformed by the ways of the world, but to renew our minds continuously. Empower us this day by the power of your Holy Spirit. And now would you lift your hands as you receive the benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.